pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for gathering us, Lord, for calling us as a holy people, people requisitioned um, for yourself, belonging to you for your purposes. And Lord, we thank you for the joy of getting to um, share communion with you, the triune God, through your spirit, the spirit that indwells not only us as individuals, but us as a community of people, as a church. Um, We thank you, and we just pray now that as we come to your word, that you would help us to hear your word, the truths of your word. Uh, And Lord, that we would not merely hear them, but we would live by them. Lord, because we love you, because you've saved us, because you've shown us your loyal kindness, oh Lord God, we, we pray that we would, you would conform us as a people to your word. So we just ask these things, help us, help me to be clear for the sake of your people, in Christ's name, amen. You stand with me for the reading of God's word in 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5. First Peter 5, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you to, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, we won't spend all of our time in that passage this morning, but that is one of the key fundamental texts for talking about shepherding, shepherding and pastoring and eldering in a local church. Uh, As you remember, we've started this series. We've spent a couple weeks. We're going to spend six weeks total in this series talking about uh, how Jesus has put together the church. It is an organism, but it is also an organization. It is an organism, but it is also an organization. There is order to it, and Jesus has put that order into it. And we spent the first couple weeks talking about the foundational church office, which is the office of member. Uh, the office of priesthood. We talk about the priesthood of all believers, and really what we mean is that every um, person, when they are saved, when they repent and place their faith in Jesus, Jesus gives them an office, and they are publicly installed into that office through the waters of baptism into the local church, which is what we mean by church membership. And so we've talked about not only do the members have a job, but they also they also have a authority to do that job. We can think of Matthew 18, 15 through 20, where Jesus talks to the members of a local church and gives them the authority to bind and to loose, to say, here's what is binding on you as a disciple to live uh, as a follower of Christ. So the members have that authority to back it up. And so we talked about last week, well, what do they do then? What do the members do? If they have the job and they have the authority, what do they do? And we talked in broad scope, broad headline actions that the priestly office of a member is, is executed in making disciples. And we could talk about things like the proclamation of the gospel. We could talk about how the, the corporate church, as they jointly hold this authority, they baptize, they teach, they partake in the Lord's Supper in a worthy way, they guard through church discipline. 
But then talking about all those realities, like, wow, there's a lot that is on the shoulders of the members. There is a lot of responsibility in this office. But then you could be asking this question, we kind of left last week asking this, well, okay, if that's the case, if, if the foundational fundamental church office is that of member, well, what do the elders do? Because it's very clear in the New Testament that the, uh, that the elders have authority in the local church, but what do they do? And that's where we're picking up this morning as we move into this week and the next week, the idea of elders. Uh, if we talk about members as the fundamental church office, well, what about elders? What do the elders do in relation to the members? And not only how, what do they do, but how do they work together? How do they work together? How do elders and members work together in doing their jobs? And so this morning, as we enter into this, you might be thinking, well, if this is about the elders, why don't you guys just talk about this tomorrow night, right? We have an elders meeting tomorrow night. Why don't we just talk about it then? Why don't you guys just talk about them? Because this is for the elders. We've already talked about the members. What else is there to talk about? You guys worry about that tomorrow night. Well, this is the idea that this isn't just for elders. When we talk about elders, it's not just for the elders. It obviously is but it's also for the members, because what do the members do? One of the things the members do in guarding the gospel and in protecting the name of Christ and protecting as a priesthood the local assembly, they have the responsibility of appointing elders. They have the responsibility of also holding their elders accountable to do their job. And so as we talk through this this morning, yes, there is primary application to the elders, but there's also application to the members. You should be holding us accountable to do this work. And if we're not, then you have the responsibility to remove us, which is an interesting thing for me to say from the pulpit, but there we go. So what is the big idea this morning? As we talk about what do elders do, here's the big idea. Here's the summary notion. Elders, as stewards of Christ shepherd the members of the local church. Elders, as stewards of Christ, shepherd the members of the local church. That is the broad scope of where we're going. Now, before we actually talk about specific jobs that the elders have, we need to do a little preliminary work. We need to do a little preliminary work. And that's what our first couple points are all about. The first point that we need to address as a preliminary is a one of terminology. One of terminology. And so your first point, um, I don't know if this has ever been done um, in this church or in churches in general, but uh, instead of a sentence, I have a bunch of equal signs. My math background is showing through a little bit. Uh, but it's this. It's about terminology, and it's this. Elders are overseers, our pastors are shepherds. They're all the same thing. They're all equal. When you look at the New Testament and you look at how uh, this language of elders, and then you're going to see overseers, and then you're going to see pa uh, pastors. Actually, you see pastor, the term pastor only once in Ephesians 4.11, and you see this uh, terminology of shepherding. It's all the same, and it's all referring to the same office. So sometimes people talk about me as I'm the pastor of Faith Bible Church. That is not true. I am a pastor of Faith Bible Church. There are actually four of us, because the terminology between elders and pastors is the same, and I want to prove that to you from the scriptures. So first, go to Acts 20. Go to Acts 20, to just to show you that this is indeed the case. Go to Acts 20, and go to verse 17. Now, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and he takes a stop in Asia Minor, and he wants to talk to 
the elders at the church of Ephesus. So that's what we find in Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, which is a ways away from Ephesus, but not super far. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So there's one church in Ephesus, and there's plural elders uh, that are over that church, okay? That sets up for what Paul is going to say. He is going to talk to the elders of that church. Now, we're not going to go through his entire speech, but what I want you to do is to know, okay, he's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, but then skip down to verse 28. As he talks to these men of this church, notice what he says in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So you see what Paul is saying here. He's saying, uh, you are elders. And you elders, you're also overseers because the Holy Spirit appointed you as um, overseers of a flock. And so then we get this pastoral imagery. And in fact, if your Bible, uh, you notice the language there, to care for the church of God, literally it's to shepherd the church of God. So you actually see all three fundamental terms here. There's elders, the elders are overseers. What are the overseers supposed to do? They're to shepherd the church of of God, the flock of God, the local church of Ephesus. That is their job. So you see the elder and overseer and really shepherd, which is what we mean when we use the word pastor, are interchangeable. Pastor and shepherd are really the same term, which makes sense, right? Uh, what is a pastor? Well, it's just this, we use the language pastoral, it just means shepherd. That's what the word means. So we see it in Acts 20 that elders and overseers and pastors and shepherds, they're all the same thing. You could see it again in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, where we just were. I just read this, that Peter is talking to the elders, and he's probably talking to elders of multiple churches in this case, but he says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. It's all the same thing. Shepherding, eldering, exercising oversight. We're talking about the same fundamental office in the local church. Or you could go to Titus 1. You could go to Titus 1. Titus 1, Paul is talking to an apostolic delegate. Titus is an apostolic delegate. He's got a unique function. Same with Timothy in the pastoral letters. They're actually not pastors. They're apostolic delegates. And Timothy has a particular, or Titus has a particular role. He's in Crete, and listen to what Paul says to Titus in Crete. Titus 1.5 says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So at this point in church history, there's like one church per town, so he's going to appoint elders in every town. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, etc., etc., etc. You see it again. An elder is an overseer, which is a shepherd. They're all the same terminology. Now, that being said, they're, uh, they're all the same office. I should put it that way. They're all the same office. But why are there different terms? Why are there different terms used for the, different, for the same office? 
Well, the reason for that, let's start with elders. Elders, if you were to look from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that's a very familiar term. And what you would see in Old Testament and even in the Gospels, when Jesus is in Israel, you would see the elders referenced. And really the idea of elders is as representative leaders of the community. You see this in the Old Testament. You see this in the New Testament. They have a leadership function in the community. But really, that's what that term recognizes. The Jews have been very familiar with it. They're representative leaders of the community. That's what the elder terminology um, emphasizes. What about shepherds or pastors? Remember, again, the word for pastor, it's only used once in um, the New Testament in Ephesians 4.11, but really it just means the same thing as pastor. And all those verb forms are about shepherding, shepherding, pastor, their equivalent. Really, that harkens back to a consistent biblical metaphor of uh, shepherds being leaders in the community. So again, you go Old Testament, New Testament, uh, kings, prophets, other leaders, they're called shepherds. They're called God's shepherds, shepherds of the flock of God. So when we talk about shepherds or pastors, it's just in, 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 in bringing to mind that metaphor of what a shepherd does. Now, we don't really have, I mean, we have shepherds today, but we're not as familiar with it as first century Israel. But it would have been very common, very known what a shepherd is and does. But if you read through the Bible and even look at some extra biblical sources, shepherding is hard work because you're caring for this flock. You're taking it from pasture to pasture to feed it. You're staying up late. You're guarding against predators. You're doing all of this stuff. And it is an imagery and a metaphor to signal sacrificial leadership and care. Sacrificial leadership and care. That's what that shepherding metaphor would have brought to mind for the original hearers. And then we've got this terminology of overseers. Now, if you've got something like a King James, uh, you might see that term translated as bishop. This is where we get our word bishop. But really, the word is overseer. It's just the idea of oversight. We get that. It's a general functional term, function of oversight, and all that that entails in relation to the flock of God, overseeing someone. We think about that like a manager, right? Like a, in a job situation, we would probably use something like a manager to signal the same sort of function that is happening with the word overseer. So that's our first stop, is to understand that when the New Testament uses this terminology, when it describes this office, it uses the terms elders, overseers, and shepherds interchangeably. Now, second stop before we talk about what elders actually do is this. Elders are members given a particular stewardship. Elders are members given a particular stewardship. Now, what do I mean by this? What I mean by this, and what we will see in the scriptures, is that there is no distinction in terms of being a Christian between an elder and a member. There is no hierarchy in the sense that uh, an elder is not more Christian than a member. Elders are members. Before they're elders, they're members. They're part of that priesthood of the local church. Now, where do I see this? Go to Matthew 24. We were just recently in Matthew 24. And in Matthew, in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is talking about preparing for his coming, and how do you live in light of his coming? And he uses several word pictures and parables to describe how you live. But one that's very interesting, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, it occurs in Matthew 24, 
starting in verse 45. Starting in verse 45. So Jesus is saying, I'm coming back, and then he uses all these different pictures to describe how you live while you're coming back. And Matthew 24, 45, we see this. Who then is the faithful and wise slave? Who, who then is the faithful and wise slave whom his master has set over his household slaves to give them their food at the proper time? Let's just start there. Remember the imagery. We did this a couple weeks ago. Uh, the imagery here is of a master going away, which is Jesus, that represents Jesus in this context. Jesus is the master, Jesus is the owner of the household. But as the master is going away, he picks from among his slaves one particular slave in this context to oversee the rest of his household slaves. So you see that words, those words there in verse 45, it is the word slave. And when he says over his household, it's really the idea of his household slaves. What is he supposed to do? What is this steward, this slave who is under the master, but then um, he is picked out from a rest of the household slaves? What is he supposed to do? Well, he's supposed to give the rest of the slaves their food at the proper time. That's what this slave is. It's a stewardship. It's the idea that, okay, there's this stewardship. He's not an owner, but he does represent the master's interests. And he is supposed to feed the rest of the household slaves to do what? So that they can do the work that the master has for them. And so you see that imagery there. And I said at the time when we worked through this passage, I believe this passage has a particular application to church leaders. Because that is exactly the notion of a leader in the New Testament is there's no functional difference. Uh, we are all slaves of Christ. We all belong to Christ. We seek the interests of Christ. That's what we're about as a people. So there's no difference in essence of being a slave to Christ between an elder and a member. Doesn't matter. But there is a distinction of role. There is a distinction of role. And that role is a stewardship for the benefit of the rest of the flock. You can see this in Titus 1.7. You don't have to turn there. We were just there. But it, Paul describes the overseer, whom Titus is to appoint, as a steward. Well, what's a steward? A steward is not an owner. A steward manages someone else's property for that person's benefit. And that is the idea of what an elder is supposed to do. You could talk about Acts 20, 28. We were already there. The Holy Spirit appoints elders in a local church to do what? To shepherd the flock of God, to care for the flock of God. It belongs to Christ. It belongs to God. The members belong to God. The flock belongs to God. But there is an appointment for a role, a particular role of caring on behalf of Christ. To really see this idea of stewardship, turn to Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Now, what you will find is we're going to bounce back and forth between the same passages over and over again, because these are foundational passages talking about eldership, leadership in the New Testament. Now, Hebrews, Hebrews is probably written to a church or maybe some multiple churches in and around Rome or in Italy. And we don't know who the author of Hebrews is for sure. Someone in Paul's missionary group of people. But we see this in Hebrews 13, 17, talking about leadership. And actually what's being happening here is this letter, and really along with the new, rest of the New Testament letters, they're being addressed to members 
But in this case, they're being, the members are being told, here's how you relate to your leaders, which we would understand to mean elders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not, for, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, what I wanted to point out this time around, we're going to hit this passage several times, but what I want to point out to you this time around is there is a stewardship here. The leaders have a stewardship for which they will give an account to Christ when he comes again. It's the same imagery that we saw in Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus is going to come again, and he is going to ask the leaders, the elders of his churches who are under shepherds, who are supposed to care for his flock, how'd you do? What did you do? How did you care for my flock? It's a stewardship. It's a stewardship. Elders are not owners of the church. The church does not belong to them. It belongs to Christ. But they have a charge. They have a stewardship to care for the members. Now, at this point, we need to talk about the idea of authority. Because already in Hebrews 13, 17, we've got this language. Obey your leaders and submit to them, which is the language of authority. But if you're tracking uh, and thinking about what we talked about the last couple weeks with members and what we're now talking about with elders, you're like, well, wait, 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 wait. I thought you said the members have authority from Christ, the authority of the keys of the kingdom, the authority to excommunicate, the authority to welcome in new members, all of that. But now you're saying, and we're looking at this, that the elders have authority. So who has authority? Isn't that a good question? Like, who has authority to do what? Now, to answer this question, I want you to think of an analogy. It's not a perfect analogy, but it is an analogy. And where I want to take you to distinguish, well, what authority do the elders have versus what authority do the members have? I want to take you to the illustration of the authority of the state versus the authority of a doctor. Think about both of those roles. Now, what do I mean by the state? I mean, like, the, you know, the, the political institution where you find yourself a citizen. So think of the authority of the state. What authority does the state have? Well, God has given the state authority to make laws to promote good and punish evil. That is why God has given authority to the state. Can the state back up its authority? Yes. In fact, Paul reflects on this in, uh, in Romans 13, the state has the power of the sword, which means capital up to and including capital punishment, to back up its authority. In other words, if you defy the state long enough and severely enough, the state will execute you. It has teeth to back up its authority. Now, compare and contrast that authority with the authority of a doctor. We talk about doctors as a sort of authority, don't we? When you go to the doctor and say, hey, doctor, this is what's wrong with me. Can you help me? And they say, well, this is what you need to do. You need to exercise like this. You need to eat these foods and you need to take this medicine. Now, are you under obligation to do those things? No, you can say, no, I'm not going to do any of those things. Uh, and does the doctor have a way of backing that up? Not really. I mean, he can complain about it. He can drop you as a patient, but like he doesn't have a sword to execute you. You didn't follow my prescription, therefore off to the chopping block with you. That's not how the doctor's authority works. It's a different kind of authority. 
Well, it will show itself, though, if the doctor was right in how healthy you are. As time goes on, it will show itself. Um, the doctor's authority will be backed up on how healthy you are. Now, think of that difference, the authority of the state versus the authority of a doctor. And again, the analogy is not perfect. Think of that as the difference of authority between members and elders. The authority of the state is what we would call the authority of command. There is some way of backing that up. In the case of the state, it's the sword. In the case of the church, the members have authority of command. What does that mean? It means they have a way to back up their authority. How? Church discipline. Church discipline. Removal from the table of the Lord's Supper and, um, and being thrown out of the church. They have a way of backing up what they are saying is binding on a person. It is binding on you to live in this way if you're going to call yourself a disciple of Jesus. And if you don't live that way, we as a group, with our authority held jointly, are going to excommunicate you. They have a way of backing up that authority. Conversely, if you, or on the other side, if you think of the elders, what authority do elders have? They have an authority kind of like a doctor, what we might call the authority of counsel. The authority of counsel. So the members have authority of command. They can back it up in a, an immediate way versus the elders have an authority like the authority of a doctor, the authority of counsel, the authority of counsel. The elders cannot excommunicate anyone. They are not given that authority by Christ. They can tell people and say, look, brother, you are walk or sister, you are walking in a particular way that is going to be devastating for you, that is leading you, this is not the way that Jesus told us to walk, you're going astray, come back, come back, come back. Or they can even tell the whole church, hey, church, you are not walking in the way that you ought to be, you ought to follow this, we can see it from the scriptures, come back, come back, come back, come back. How do they enforce that? They can't, not in an immediate way because they are not given the keys of the kingdom to enforce through excommunication. If you, I can teach you from the scriptures, and if you decide, no, I'm not going to listen to that, I can do nothing to excommunicate you, because that's not given my job. That's not my job. That's given to the members. But, just like the doctor, there will be a day coming when it will be seen, were you supposed to follow the elders in that way, that particular instance, or not? Notice Hebrews 13, 17 again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not for, with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Meaning what? On that day of judgment, the elders will be held responsible for how they counseled, and the members will be held accountable for how they followed or didn't follow that advice. That is what we are talking about when we talk about the difference of authority that elders have versus members. And so given those two preliminaries, first, that the terminology of elders and overseers and pastors or shepherds, they're all interchangeable. And given the fact that elders are members with a particular stewardship, now we are in a position to talk about what do elders do? What do elders do? Which leads us to our third point. And the first thing that elders do Elders know the flock. Elders know the flock. Since we're in Hebrews 13, 17, and we've read this verse multiple times, do you notice that there is the, the high degree of accountability that the leaders have for 
those they're overseeing. They're keeping watch over individual souls, which means what? They better know each individual person that they are responsible for overseeing and how they're doing, what's going on in their lives, such that when Jesus asks, hey, um, how, is, how is your relationship with that person in your church? How did you shepherd them? How did you care for them? That takes individual level, intimate knowledge, just like a shepherd with sheep. In fact, Solomon in the Old Testament reflects on this idea of what does wise shepherding entail? I want to take you here just to see this. Proverbs 27. What does wise shepherding entail? Wise shepherding entails knowledge of the flock, first and foremost. If you're going to be a good shepherd, a wise shepherd, then you need to know, have intimate knowledge of the flock. Solomon reflects on this in Proverbs 27, and he actually does it from, say, 23 to 26, 27. But I'm just going to focus you in on how he starts. And everything, the way Solomon starts, everything else he says kind of flows out of that. And he says this in Proverbs 27, talking to shepherds and really probably talking to future kings and using that flock metaphor. But notice what he says, Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. And then Solomon goes on to say, well, what are the benefits of that? How's that going to work out as you shepherd? If we're talking about elders and leaders giving account to Christ for individual souls, well, then you better know and give attention to the individuals in the flock. It's a high level of accountability. Now, you might say, well, then there's a question here. There's a question for elders. Who are the elders responsible for? Who are the elders responsible for? Well, we kind of get that answer in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Told you we were going to bounce between these same passages. What does it say in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4? So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What does that mean? It means the elders are responsible not for every single Christian out there, but for the flock that is among them. Meaning what? Well, who has committed to be part of the local church? The members. That is who the elders are responsible to give an account for. You know what I'm saying? Now, you might be saying, are you saying that uh, if I'm not a member of this local church that I'm not, I'm not your pastor? That's exactly what I'm saying. God holds me accountable to do good to every Christian. Don't get me wrong. That is absolutely what I'm supposed to do. But I'm only responsible, I believe, before Christ when I give an account for him on the day of judgment for those who have committed to this local church, to be known, to be shepherded, by this local church, because that's the level to which elders are supposed to be held accountable toward, to know the flock, to know the members, to care for members. It's a two-way street. When we talk about someone coming in, it's just not just because you showed up. 
well, I don't know. Maybe you showed up. Maybe you're here a few weeks and maybe you're gone. I don't think I'm going to be held responsible to the same degree on the day of judgment to those who have committed to this local church. So elders know the flock. But then what? Elders feed the flock. Elders know the flock, and then they feed the flock. Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. We keep coming, we've read this passage a couple times. Again, it's one of those foundational passages for thinking about how does the church operate. And here is the one instance in the New Testament where it actually uses the noun uh, pastor or shepherd. And notice what it says, uh, Ephesians 4.11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? What are they supposed to do? What's the job? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What are the elders and the pastors? Remember, those terms are interchangeable. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to teach. They're supposed to do what? To equip the saints to do the work of ministry. How do they do that? They do that primarily through teaching, through the ministry of the word. God builds the church through the ministry of the word. And so foundationally, at a core reality, when we talk about elders or pastors or overseers, how are they going to equip the saints, the members, to do the work of ministry through the preaching and teaching of the word? You can even think back to that Matthew 24, 45 through 47 passage. The master goes away and he entrusts to a, a slave over the household slaves to do what? To give them food, to give them food, which is a common analogy in scripture for teaching so that those slaves can do the will of the master. That's why if you look at the elder qualifications, which is where we're going next week, the elder qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, 2, an elder must be skillful in teaching. Not just able to teach, but the word is skillful in teaching. You see that also in Titus 1, 9. Go ahead and turn to Titus to see that responsibility. Titus 1, 9. Paul talking to, uh, Paul talking to Titus kind of caps off the qualifications for appointing elders. And he says this, the elder, the overseer, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Now, the core of that trustworthy word is going to be the gospel as it's been passed on. But what? Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The elder, the pastor, the teacher is to positively instruct in sound doctrine, counsel like a doctor, and then negatively rebuke those who contradict sound teaching. 
for the good of the flock. So if we think about what do elders do? Well, they know the flock, but in knowing them, they also then feed them, feed them, feed them the truth, feed them in such a way to guard them from error. So elders know the flock, elders feed the flock. Fifth, elders lead the flock, lead the flock. We don't have to turn back there, but um, Hebrews 13, 17 talks about the leaders, the leaders of the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them. What is leadership? Leadership, especially when you think of shepherding, right? A shepherd leads a flock. Why does it lead the flock? Well, it leads the flock from one pasture to another pasture for the good of the flock so that the flock can grow, so that the flock can be healthy. In a similar sort of way, elders, leaders in a local church are to set a direction and to say, hey, this is where we ought to be going. This is where good pasture is. This is where we go towards health for the local flock. You might say, well, how do they do that? How do they lead? Well, some of that is by saying, yeah, this is where we should go. This is the direction we ought to be going. But there's another way, a critical way. Go back to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5 Take another pass at it. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Catch this, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see what verse 3 is saying? We, we know from the world what domineering shepherding looks like, what domineering leadership. It's my way or the highway. That's domineering. But what is the leadership here that is Peter's talking about? Being examples. Example leadership. Remember what this is all about. It's about discipleship. What is discipleship? Following Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate leader. Even here, he's called the chief shepherd. We're all following Jesus. We're all seeking to follow Jesus. And so the idea of the elders equipping the saints to follow Jesus. And so what is that going to entail? It means that the elders are going to be following Jesus in an exemplary way to then call others alongside them and say, yes, follow me as I follow Christ, like Paul himself says. So elders know the flock Elders feed the flock, elders lead the flock, elders guard the flock. Go back to Acts 20. So remember, Acts 20, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, and he's exhorting them. He's, he's, he's actually, in this context, he's doing what we just said. He's calling the Ephesian elders to follow his example. He's saying, hey, look what I did here, look what I did here. And he's really calling them to follow his own example. But in Acts 20, 28 through 31, he exhorts them and he says this, pay careful attention to yourselves, to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. What is Paul saying? He's saying, okay, elders, as I leave, uh, here's your job. The Holy Spirit has appointed you. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to all the flock. Why? Because wolves are coming. From inside and from outside, there are those who are going to attack. With what? False teaching to the point where they're going to draw the disciples away after them. And so what are the elders supposed to do? Be alert, be on guard, and if you were to say it this way, chase away the wolves. Because what is an elder supposed to do? Back to Titus 1.9, you don't have to turn there, but we just looked at it. They are to teach in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Meaning the shepherd has fierce words for false teachers to guard the flock. Because it's not just, it's not his flock. It's the flock that was purchased with the blood of Christ. It's the flock that belongs to Jesus. So that's what elders do. In summary fashion, they use the word of God to, they, they know the flock first and foremost, and then they feed the flock with the word of God. They lead the flock in conformity with the word of God, and they guard the flock with the word of God. It's all rooted in the word of God. But you might ask the question, to what end? To what end? Like, what's, what's all of this shepherding and leading and obeying and submitting and authority and whatever else? What's it all about? Where are we going? Well, remember, who's the chief shepherd? Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the chief elder. Everyone else is just an under-shepherd in terms of elders. That's what Peter effectively says in 1 Peter 5. Where is Jesus taking his flock? Because the elders better be taking the flock in the same direction. Where is Jesus taking his flock? We get a great answer to that in Ephesians 1.4. Ephesians 1.4. We know Ephesians 1. It's a glorious passage talking about how the triune God works in the salvation of each and every Christian and in the midst of that, the aim of God in someone's salvation is explained. Listen to what we'll start in verse 3 in Ephesians 1. Listen to what it says. Look at what Paul says. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So Paul's saying, here's what the father did. He chose his people before the foundation of the world, before anything else in existence. He chose his people. For what end? For what end? That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That is the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is not that you escape from hell. The goal of Christianity is not that you live forever. The goal of Christianity is not that you have a nice, comfortable life, at least in this time period. The goal of Christianity is God himself. That's what he says. This is what God says. He wants you holy. Yes. He wants you to be, uh, live a life that displays that you belong to God. Blameless. Yes. He wants you to grow in moral conformity to Christ, 
But here's the key. He wants you before him in love. That's the goal right there. To enjoy the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. That's how Revelation 22 ends. In God's presence, enjoying him. That is where Jesus, the chief shepherd, is taking his flock. And so that is where the under-shepherds are to be aiming at taking the flock. Holy, blameless, loving God so that they can be presented before God on the day of judgment, mature. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1, 24, just a few pages to the right. Paul's talking about his own ministry. Like, why does he do what he does? And he reflects on this in verse 28 and 29 of Colossians 1. And he says, him we proclaim. It's a we, right? It's not just Paul doing this. It's every minister, everyone who is serving under Christ and for the benefit of God's people. He says this in Colossians 1.28, him, Christ, we proclaim. There's the word. We're proclaiming the word. We're proclaiming the gospel, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That is what the elders are seeking to do, to present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's what Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, you don't have to turn there, but if you were to read that passage again, you would talk, it would talk about not being swayed by every wind of doctrine, but growing into maturity, into conformity of Christ-likeness, so that you be what? Holy and blameless, in love, so that when the day of judgment comes, you're ready, and so that you can enjoy the triune God for all eternity. That is the aim of shepherding, eldering God's people. So elders and overseers, pastors and shepherds, all the same terminology, or different terminology for the same office. Elders are members given a particular stewardship. Elders know the flock. Elders feed the flock. Elders lead the flock. Elders guard the flock. Elders aim to present a mature flock to Christ. Now, how do we apply it? If you were to boil down everything we've said, elders shepherd through the counsel of the word. Remember, they have an authority of counsel applied to the members. So first, to the elders, to myself and Steve and Jim and Andre, recognize our stewardship and let us labor to be faithful to it. Know the members. Seek out the members, communicate with the members, listen to the members, care for the members so that we shepherd well. To the members of Faith Bible Church, hold us accountable to do our job. You have an opportunity to do that every year at our business meeting to, we always have an elder affirmation. And what we want to do in that is to recognize that uh, we want to be held accountable. We want you to tell us, hey, you know what? I think you're kind of straying here. We want to know so that we do our job well. Hold the elders accountable to their charge. 
please approach us if you see things in us that are like, uh, I'm not sure about that. Well, come talk to us and let us know. That is love to let us know so that we can do our job so that we can serve you best. To the members, again, submit to the elders as they seek your good. Now, this is not unthinking obedience. Submission is not unthinking obedience. You think of the Bereans in Acts 17, what, they're, they're hearing from an apostle, okay? A higher office than an elder. They're hearing from an apostle. And what do the Bereans do? They're like, all right, let's look at the scriptures and see if these things are so. Let's measure it because we believe the final authority is Jesus Christ. And how has Jesus Christ spoken to his church through the scriptures? And so when we talk about submission to the elders, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's not unthinking obedience, that's measuring what is taught by the scriptures. And as so far as it matches the scriptures, you obey, you submit, you come under. Normally, what that means is you're going to follow where the elders are leading. Normally, that's going to mean you're going to follow where the elders are leading. But you have to remember this, as the elders who have the authority of the keys of the kingdom given them by Christ for the local church, you always have the emergency break. Because Jesus is going to hold the whole church accountable for where the church is ultimately going. And along with all of this, please, members, seek out your elders to receive their counsel. Keep the lines of communication clear. Now, now that goes both directions, right? There's a responsibility on our side to communicate well with you. That's what we've been trying to do with our members' meetings, to give you uh, a long leeway and saying, hey, here's where we're going. Here's what we think will be healthy and good. So that's from our direction. We want to keep working on that. But that also is from your direction, Here's what not keeping the lines of communication clear looks like. If you don't want to keep the lines of communication clear, you start gossiping, you start grumbling behind the scenes, and you don't go talk to your elders. That's going to make the church unhealthy and heading in a bad direction. Keep the lines of communication clear. Come talk to us. We want to talk to you. We want to listen to you. We want to wrestle from the scriptures with you. So we've talked, there's application for elders, to the members, now to the non-members who are here. If you are a Christian attender with us today, here's my exhortation. Become part of the local church flock through membership. This is how you come under the church's accountability and the elders' shepherding care. Elders are accountable for the flock that is among them. The question is to you, who are your leaders? Whether you're a visitor here with us today or whether you're a regular attender, who are your leaders? You say, well, I just showed up here and I keep showing up and I've showed up for many years, so I'm, uh, you're my leader. Mm, I don't think I'm going to be held accountable for your soul in the same way that someone has partnered with me to say, yes, I want to be under the oversight of this church and I want to be under the elders' oversight. It's a mutual commitment. That's a handshake. It's not one directional. Who are your leaders? And if you are an attender, become part of the local church. If that's back home somewhere, do that. If that's here in town or in the mid-Columbia Gorge somewhere, do that. Now, if you're a non-Christian here this morning, you don't, what is all of this business about? Like elders and shepherds and what? What's going on? Here's how scripture describes you if you're not a Christian. You're a stray sheep. You're out there on your own. You're wandering on the hillsides. And you're looking for what you think is good pasture. You're living for yourself. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm king. I'm leading myself. I'm leading my own way. Well, what happens to lone sheep? They get devoured. 
That's how scripture talks in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. It talks about how through Christ, the shepherd, he talks about Christ as the shepherd and overseer, pastor and overseer of your souls for those who repent and place their faith in Jesus. Rather than experiencing the Father's wrath for rebellion and wandering your own way, rather than experiencing the wrath of Jesus on the day of judgment, through repentance and faith, through turning your allegiance from sin and self and wandering your own way as a sheep, you bow the knee to Jesus, you swear allegiance to Jesus, and you follow him, and he will give you abundant life. That's what Jesus says in John 10. He talks about himself as a shepherd. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. But only if you repent and believe and submit to the shepherding care of the ultimate shepherd and overseer of your souls. Elders as stewards of Christ shepherd the members of the local church. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the shepherd and overseer of straying sheep. We were all started as straying sheep. We were all scattered. We were all going our own way, our own direction, not under your care, rebels. And yet you in loyal kindness and mercy and grace came to gather into one, as John 10 talks about, the children of God that are scattered abroad. You did that through dying laying down your life for the sake of the sheep on the cross, being a substitute for the wrath of God, being the righteous, pure lamb of God in place of dirty, filthy sheep. And you not only died, you rose again, showing that you paid it all. You ascended to the right hand of the Father, and you are leading your flock through local churches, through under-shepherds, through members Lord, we praise you for that. Help us to be the people. Help us to be the members and the elders that you want us to be. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So please stand with me for a benediction from 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Church, you are sent.